But that's that mentoring experience. And that's what podcasts and that's what we hope our podcast become for people is an opportunity to to almost like a masterclass situation. Because uh, there are teachers out there who, who are rock starring, uh, who understand what it takes to do what we do. But nobody knows who they are. Nobody's heard their voice. No one's, no one's, you know, there's not a camera in every teacher's room capturing all these moments and, and putting them in a file. And you may have never experienced it, and then you may listen to it on a podcast, and then all of a sudden you experience it, and it's like, oh, I remember them saying, okay, this is how you, okay, got it. And even though it may be like, no, nah, I can't do that, but it gives me an idea. It sparks an idea in my mind of what I can do. Everybody, welcome back to the ABCs of Inspired Teaching and to part two of our conversation with our good friend Ray Hewitt. Um, actually, this is going out tomorrow. Today is her birthday, so if you have, are hearing this and you haven't wished Ray a happy birthday, please do so. Um, but we were really excited to have a conversation with Ray um, and just catch back up with her over the course, you know, about what has happened over the course of the last couple of years and, you know, how life has developed. But she just gave us some real, like, pearls of wisdom um, in understanding the situation we're in, how to have perspective on the relationship between teachers and admin and all of this stuff. Um, and we really value her perspective because she is unique in being able to see everything from kind of different sides, which um, I've really appreciated about her. So um, thank you, Ray, for coming on. Uh, thank you for being a friend over these last couple of years. And if uh, we haven't, please know that we are wishing you a happy birthday. So um, you can find Ray at Ray Hewitt on Instagram or at Teach Better Teams. You can connect with her on all her stuff there. You can find us at the ABCs of Inspired Teaching. And you can also find It's Kyle Krieger and at its.will.law.iii on Instagram. You can find those same on Twitter and TikTok. We're trying to get back out there. So thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I think we were interviewing uh, Hal Bowman and he was saying when he was a band director, he if he wanted kids to come in from elementary or from middle school playing a certain instrument. He would get the coolest kids in the school to take a picture holding the instruments or go with them when they went to the elementary school holding the instrument, even if they couldn't play it, because now I want to play the trombone because you see the, the football player played the trombone. And he said that that's what teachers have to kind of we have to kind of create a space to where teachers are, as you said, advocating for themselves, putting themselves, like, instead of complaining about what's not happening or what you can't do or what you're not allowed to do or what you're being told to do, talk about what you get to do every day. You know, spread that around about, you know, I'm, I'm an advocate saying, you know, I get to come to work every day and do the one thing that I love more than anything. I get to sit here and have conversations with little minds that that spark little things within myself. You know, I get to make a difference in a kid's life. I get to make a difference in a family life, in a family's life. Those are the conversations that we need to be having with the general community. So it will shift, you know, respect gets respect. You have to get give respect in order to get it. And if teachers are not, as you said, that self starting with self, then we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot when we're asking for more. 
Well, and similar to what we've been discussing to add to that within that conversation, teachers need to be thinking of their community like their audience, like their students. How do you lesson plan a conversation to ensure that you're getting the end result? How do you formatively assess that your message was heard and what what minor tweaks or reteaching can you do if there's a miscommunication as you're going through your passion and what your role is? And then can you give your audience a tactical strategy, a step they can go do to be a part of the solution? So if you want them to understand that teachers are passionate, well-educated, and really wanting to do better, but they have roadblocks in front of them and you want them to understand what those roadblocks are, how can we evaluate that they got that, that understanding and what steps can they do to help educators overcome those hurdles? I mean, again, these are the same practices and we know how to do them. We just need to commit to it. You know, we, we literally at my school just got done doing two weeks of this process because we had been planning to take our eighth graders to DC. But with new mandates, the half of the Smithsonian's closed early for renovations. And then the other half is going to like a Sunday through or a Thursday through Sunday opening. And we don't get out there till Sunday afternoon and we leave on Thursday. Or we would have. So we spent two weeks crafting a message to kids and to parents like, that ultimately came to the message of we want to celebrate your kids, but we can do it better locally than we can out there. You know, we don't want to take the kids 25 hours in a bus to do 20% of what we could in DC. And by and large, we haven't got a terribly large amount of negative feedback because we explained to them like, this is the thing. And when I was talking with kids about it, they were like, how long have you known? And I'm like, a little more than a week. And they're like, why didn't you just tell us? I'm like, because we wanted to figure out how to tell you. We don't want to just be like, Haha, sucks to suck. You're not going to DC. Like you, you definitely don't want to. Yeah, it just makes me all the term that came to mind when you're thinking about it was like, you know, teachers got to brand themselves better. Mm-hmm. It's hard. You know, most teachers don't think of themselves as I should be a brand. You know, I do. I'm the guy who has a poster of himself in his classroom. Dang right. You know, I, Dang right. <laughs> I'm going to do my best because I, I shared with teachers when I first came into the middle school space. I said, you have to realize that our middle school kids are looking for something to get behind. They're looking for someone to follow. I say, so by me just simply having a poster, now that strikes the kids. They were like, was this an album cover? Did you do an album and this is an album? I'm like, no, you know, that's just, that's kind of like my thing. You either get a math lesson or a life lesson. So the kids would get all excited and it it worked because it built them up to them. I'm almost like a celebrity, you know? And then when they started following me on Instagram and they're following my teacher page and they're like, I saw you posted our kites, you know? And so now other kids are like, oh, I saw your kite on, on, on TV. I mean, on, on the internet. I saw this, I saw that on Instagram. The kids get excited about it, which change and shifts the, the, the conversation in the classroom. Yeah, you're, you're emphasizing your expertise. You're emphasizing your passion. I mean, that is how you gain people's respect or anything else is they get to know you and they get to know how qualified you are. And, you know, educators that are listening to this right now, I challenge you, think of three to five things. When, you, when somebody says Ray Hewart or when someone says, you know, your name, what are the three to five things that you want to come 
you want that to come to their mind, that's what your brand is. That's the whole thing. It's that easy. So if you have three to five things, then every post on social media, every decision that you make in the classroom, every conversation that you have should be able to be lifted by those three to five pillars because then it's going to continue to elevate that brand and it's how you stay authentic. It's how you ensure that you're representing yourself well. And it's easy, friends. You can all think of three to five things that you want people to think of when they have your name in their mouth and let's make it work. All right. So I, I'm glad you kind of said that because this is the direction I wanted to go and I'm going to qualify this. There is a book which I think every person should read is by a guy named Mark Manson. It's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, but it actually uses yeah. the word. It's, the, the title is, you know, intentionally provocative, but the, okay. basic, the, the basic premise of it is we don't have the ability to care about everything. And especially for teachers, we can't care about everything. So what, I, what I'd like for you to kind of circle back to is, you know, you talked about teachers figuring out you know, what's important to them and what, and what their particular thing could be in terms of changing culture or imparting to students. So how have you, you know, yourself gotten to the point where you kind of know where you're at and what advice would you give to teachers to, to figure out what's really important to them? Because obviously, like you said, we can, we can't be known for a dozen things. Yeah. You know, I focused on this a lot early in my career as I was trying to kind of build beyond my classroom role, um, even just in a small regard, right? Like in any sense, if you're trying to do a little bit more than just be in your classroom and you want to be a part of being an advocate or you want to be a part of just being in education and being a part of the solution, um, I thought I couldn't do that without having a niche and a really well-defined niche that then everyone was going to look to me for, but then I wasn't going to necessarily have an expertise on anything outside of my niche. And I think that that was a massive mistake. I see that mistake happening all the time with educators that are trying to get into the consulting realm. They think they need to have a niche. I don't necessarily think that having a niche is a bad thing. I just think that we need to not put as much pressure onto that being our sole and only value that we can provide. I think that our niche can ebb and flow. And I think that as we look at finding a niche, like I'm gonna be the educator that does PD on social and emotional learning, you're really limiting your ability to make an impact um, with, with so many different people. So I really go back to that like three to five activity. When you think of three to five things that you want people to know about you, some of those things, hopefully a lot of those things are just characteristics, right? I want people to know that I'm transparent. I want people to know that I'm gonna share my opinion. I also want people to know that I really am an advocate for elevating other people's voices. And I also want people to know that I, you know, like, uh, anyway, all these other things. So when I find a space I'm passionate about, I'm gonna do that with transparency. I'm gonna do that by bringing in other voices to the conversation. And that gives me the freedom to allow my passion space to really go from one topic to another in an authentic way to whatever audience I'm, I'm able to speak to. So for me, originally my, my passion space, right? My, my soapbox, my niche was mastery learning. And that hasn't gone away. I, I do professional development on mastery learning. I built a team uh, to do professional development on mastery learning across the country, across the, across the globe. And we foster conversations on mastery learning all day, every day. I love it. Our books are on it. I'm, I'm game. 
but we haven't even talked about it once here. And that's not because it's just because that hasn't come up. And I have more to my support of education beyond my niche. And so as we're looking at educators finding that niche, it really comes down to, I believe, those three to five things and whatever is getting you going these days, whatever fuels your fire right now. And it might change in five years and that's okay. So if I'm hearing you right, because I know I definitely, when Wilkie and I got started trying to do the online thing and um, I knew that I, I did that trying to find a niche, but for me, I, I was more trying to find like a shtick. Like I was going to be the guy that did this one party trick or yeah. that was basically the equivalent of it. And like how different, you know, Wilkie and I started teaching together in 13. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a totally different, I'm a totally different person now with a totally different life than I had then. A hundred percent. Me too. And it's, it's so funny that you mentioned characteristics and traits because I feel like in professional development, that never gets talked about. But this goes right back to what we as teachers know. Kids don't learn from people they don't like. And so the content is secondary. If you're looking to do professional development, you need to first be a human being and you need to have pillars and morals that you're basing your decisions off of. And then when you have that, the topic is secondary and only relevant when you have the right audience. It's the same theme. I feel like we have a theme on this podcast, guys. I feel like this is this is working out. There's a theme. See, and this is so fu- <laughs> it's so funny because we've had you know four or five conversations with people um, that you know that we know that are friends, and we've had these whole lists. And in those four or five, I've never asked one question that was actually on the list. Oh man, see, I'm derailing us. No, but see, that's and this is and this is a part. This is a fun part of Wilkie and I. Like, I would. If Will would let me, I would always go in just shotgunning it and go in blind and just let it rip and see where it goes. But Wilkie advised me that some people don't necessarily. It's nice to have an outline. Yeah. If nothing else can be said, we know we can ask these questions. But usually, I think the beauty of interviewing someone is that it's the same way with a, within, within your classroom. Let's go back there. You You start with a leading question. And from that response, you can either move on or ask a deeper question to go deeper. And I think a lot of times we, as educators, feel like we must keep going on, mm-hmm. even though, and I tell my kids all the time, your face tells me you have a question long before your hand goes up. Mm-hmm. I say, so when I'm calling and I'm picking and I'm pulling, I'm doing it because I see that there are questions out there, but you don't ask them. So then I start asking them for you. And once I start asking them, they're like, oh yeah, I, okay, so some of you were curious about, oh, you know, I, I was thinking that saying, okay, so let's have those conversations with our kids so that they can understand that it has, conversations are organic. They are, if they're real true, I don't ever like to go in there and if I go in an interview and I, and I love interviewing, I do, because I feel like I just love talking and you know, partially maybe a little bit of narcissism that I like to talk about myself when people ask and I like to talk about what I do. And so I don't like it when you see them reading one, two, three, four, and the questions are not really related to one another because that tells me that number one, you're not really listening to me. You're not really listening to me to see, okay, do I need to go deeper? Because I don't, I know I'm not that thorough to answer that question as deeply as you would want it, 
but the need to move on is what we have to kind of get away from. Mm-hmm. You know, go deeper. I would rather go deeper within one question and have the kids. I tell the kids, when y'all start saying, ah, that's magic to me. That gives me goosebumps everywhere. Because that tells me you got it. You're, you're getting it and you got it on your own. It wasn't me telling you and you're like, okay, I got it. Mm-hmm. You, your brain was searching for it and was trying to connect it. And I think that that's kind of what we have to do. And that's kind of what you're asking teachers to do. Do that exact same thing, but start with yourself. <laughs> Let's start with ourselves. And if we get ourselves questioning ourselves and our practices more deeper, and, and that's not right, deeper thoughts and questions about ourselves, then we can then begin to elevate ourselves to the point to where we won't have to speak our worth. Our work will show our worth. Before we talk about your book and the work you're doing at Teach Better, I do want to circle back to one more thing that you said, because you had mentioned earlier that, you know, there are teachers out there who are really feeling like at any point, and I could raise my hand on this, I've talked to a lot about this, that their job could be pulled right out from under them for, for whatever particular reason. And since we've been talking about, you know, advocacy for ourselves as teachers, as well as transparency, do you have any advice or any, you know, to speak on how you balance that? I mean, cause I think it is, you know, it's a real fear. I don't know how logical it is because I think with the shortage, principals would really have a hard time actually letting people go. But how do you, how do you balance that, you know, advocating for yourself and being transparent with that potential fear of having your job pulled out from under you? You know, there's this um, lesson that my father always used to to emphasize growing up. Uh, And it's when you were upset about something, when you were fighting for something, whether it be in a marriage, in any sort of relationship, is this a one or a 10 for you? And if it was a 10, it was the most important to sit. It was the most important thing. You were going to fight tooth and nail. You were never going to let this go. It is so important to you that this occurs. And if it's a one, it's, it's not really that big of a deal. You're kind of just sharing your opinion. You'd like to be heard, but it's not something you're going to die down a rock for. Right. And I think we need to do the same thing when we are advocating for ourselves to, for instance, for, for to a principal. So you can go into a principal's room or, or a class uh, office and say, here's my opinion. This is something I'm fighting for. You really need to have the perspective for you internally. Is this a one or a 10? Do you want the principal to say, or do you want the principal just to hear you, to carry that perspective in the back of his mind moving forward? That's fine. Or is this a 10? Like you are willing to risk it all because you see something happening that you just truly cannot live for. Mm. Now, as you decide that, the flip side is anytime you enter into a conversation, the most productive way to have a conversation is to ask questions because you are eager to learn not ask questions because you are fueled by anger or passion. I am terrible at this. When I'm upset about something, I can't maintain any sort of restraint. You see it on my face. I get, I shake, my chest gets tight. I mean, I'm terrible at this, but it's truly something that I'm trying to to work on internally and something that I assume many of us can continue to work on. Anytime you have a concern and you want to advocate for yourself, you have to walk in knowing what you want to get to, but asking those questions to understand, assume the best plan for the worst, right? Assume that your principal is already on your side 
assume that your principal has has made every decision with the information that they have accessible to them and you're just going in to learn. Maybe it's gonna to be to learn that they didn't have all the information they needed. Maybe it's to go in and learn that you didn't have all the information you needed, but, but either way, go in with that perspective. And then depending on how much you push is either if it's a one or a 10, maybe it's an eight, maybe it's a six, right? These are all things to consider. But with that all being said, with those like two things in mind, if it's a 10 for you, I promise there'll be another teaching job out there for you. I do. And, and honestly, if you're looking for a teaching job right now and you can't find one, you should call me because I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people looking for good teachers. So if it's a 10 and you're fighting and you're advocating and you actually find yourself losing your job because of it, build a network, we'll get you a job. If it's really a 10, you might be willing to risk it. If it's not a 10, then you find your space in between. And that's such a good thing to think about. You know, I, 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 Kyle and I started talking, I think last year uh, during the COVID, uh, during 2020, actually, saying that teachers have to realize that we are independent contractors. You know, we sign a contract. I know here in Houston, in our district, our contract is one year. You're signing up for one year saying that for this year, I'm going to give this to you. You can learn a lot about a relationship in one year. You know, you can learn a lot about a school. And, you know, I used to be critical. Don't jump schools. I mean, since, since I've been in teaching for 15 years, I've only been at three schools. One, the very first school I taught at, which I only taught for a year because I was a paraprofessional, spent 12 years at, um, 11 years at, at, at an intermediate school at one campus. And now for the next last four years, I've been at one campus. So, but I do realize that if I was not getting what I needed, I was not getting everything that I needed from those building principles. And I can say, honestly, I've been extremely blessed to have had great administrators. You know, from Mr. Tom Caldwell to Dr. Kristen Kraft to Christy Van Wassenhoek to, you know, now Marcus Pruitt. These administrators embody what education is to me. So I don't mind serving under them. You know, I would, I would follow them as much as I could to do what I need to do because they're they're amazing, you know. And Christy Van Wassenhove is one who told me about when I came out of the classroom to be an instructional specialist. She said, "Don't be afraid. Just know that your classroom is getting bigger." Mm -hmm. And when she told me that, it gave me a lot of perspective. And I wrote this down when you were talking about, you know, going. It's it's the same thing at, at different levels. Your classroom is just getting bigger. Your audiences is, are changing, and so. I think that when you think about it as I have the freedom to stick this out a year. And if I'm not satisfied, try somewhere else. Yeah. And that's that's okay to do that as educators. You know, I know we want educate. What I don't want to see is a teacher to stay in one place and then end up leaving the craft altogether because of one bad experience. Mm -hmm. You know, don't you can't base it off of one bad experience. Yeah, I think there is and has been a narrative that if you move schools frequently, then somebody in an interview is going to look at your resume and say, oh, she, there, they must be a bad educator because they only stayed at schools for a year, two years, five years, whatever. Um, I'm not saying that that narrative is incorrect, but I am going to tell you that that narrative immediately goes away when they call that principal and your principal says, God, yeah, Ray worked here for two years. 
and she left and we miss her, but she worked her butt off when she was here. And I'd hire her again in a minute it's because it might, it might not look great that you move schools every one to two years. But if you are creating advocates, if you have reasons why you left, if you tried and communicated and you gave your all and it just wasn't the right fit, which happens in relationships all the time, <laughs> then that's okay. So I would, I would challenge educators. I think we are fearful to change our jobs, fearful to change our roles. I too felt that same way. And I think the reality is go back to what we were talking about. You need to do what's good for you. You need to do what serves your purpose. And there always is other jobs. And obviously there's pros and cons to all that. So if you are unhappy right now, I would, I would encourage you to not stay unhappy and instead find a way to be happier and choosing to move schools may be that option for you, or it might be something else. But if it is, and you're struggling to find a job, reach out to your network, reach out to me, reach out to you guys. We all know people that need jobs and, you know, like again, pros and cons, but, but it's not a one size fits all people don't stay in the profession, any profession for, for many years without changing. I think people stay in education a long time without changing. So, you know, I don't know. It's all, it's all perspective, I guess. Mm-hmm. I love that. All right. To be respectful of your Saturday. And I know Will's got a big uh, tour of a property, which he's excited about. So could you just, um, for our listeners, tell us a little bit about um, your books that you have written, as well as what um, Teach Better has got going on. So they know where they can continue to dive a little bit deeper into this and, and learn more from you. Oh gosh, I could talk about that forever. Um, yeah. So I, I have published a few books. I encourage you all to go check them out. They're very, very different. Uh, one was published in 2019 with a few of my best friends that we just kind of got to go through and talk about some great things that are happening in education and how we can do them just a little bit better. The perspective of the Teach Better team has always been that we're a little bit better today than we were yesterday and a little bit better tomorrow than we were today. And that book really was the beginning of hopefully fostering that conversation uh, with educators. Um, a year later, I also published a book called Teachers Deserve It with Adam Welcome. And that was kind of a, a, a secondary book to a very popular book called Kids Deserve It. Um, in short, Kids Deserve It is a really, really inspirational book that talks about all the things that we have to do because kids deserve the best and teachers deserve it. it has a whole long story of how it came about, but long story short, we essentially summed it up to say yes, but not at the expense of teachers. And how can teachers begin to control the narrative in a profession that they feel handcuffed to that narrative? And so it really hopefully uh, was crafted to be a book to empower educators to see the power that they do actually possess and how some of those steps are so minuscule and everyone can do them every single day if we so choose to prioritize that. So it's a really, really fun book that we were able to write. Uh, and I'm th- thankful that it's that it's available. And I think it seemed very timely in 2020. Educators were feeling like they didn't have a lot of power. And I was really thrilled to see so many schools do book studies and, and really embrace principal leaderships, really embrace giving this to the teachers and saying, no, 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 no. You do deserve all these things. And as a school, we're going to commit ourselves to ensuring that you get them. I think that's a really empowering message for leadership to provide their staff. And it's a fun little book to read. It's a quick read, um, really, really fun stories, very personal stories with Adam and I. And we got into education very differently. He's like an all-star in California principal. Um, has, if you don't know Adam, welcome. He's got his whole little like personality over there. I love Adam. He's a great friend. And I'm a simple Midwest girl. And you know, it's, it was fun to be able to blend those two perspectives. So 
as far as teach better though, teach better is my love, my passion. Um, it really is an incredible organization. It fosters a global community and it does two things. One is that we provide professional development. And the other is that we just like to be a safe space to discuss all things education um, and really ensure that we won't necessarily promise that we have the answer at all, but we love to help people connect dots and start the brainstorming so that they can continue to seek the right answers for their students and their communities. So if you head to teachbetter.com, you're going to see Blogs publish every single day. We publish at least one blog every single day, including weekends at teachbetter.com. We have a super active podcast network. We have over 40 podcasts that we've vetted and talked to and endorse, and they're all doing work in different spaces. Uh, we have an administrative mastermind that happens multiple times a week. We have a morning show for educators that happens every single morning at 7 a.m. Eastern that we foster. And uh, we also have a, a conference that's coming up. That's October 14th and 15th. Um, this will be a great time to bring our community together in Akron, Ohio. And then we also, here in a few weeks, uh, we have a 12-hour live. It literally is going to be 12 hours of professional development that we're streaming on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and LinkedIn. We're bringing in different voices, different faces every half an hour, different themes every half an hour. And the goal, again, is to just continue to be a space to foster dialogue. So I encourage you all to go check out Teach Better. I like to describe Teach Better as a you're kind of in like a big ballroom and there's all these doors around you and they're all open. So you just get to decide which one you walk into and go from there, explore from there. Mm. I love it. I love it. I love it. So the conference on the October 14th, 15th, that's face-to-face. It is. It's in Akron, Ohio. Uh, we are slowly but surely releasing our featured speakers. And we also have proposals opening on the first. So anybody listening, if you want to be added to our featured speaker lineup, uh, mark your calendars for March 1st and make sure you submit a session because we would love to have you. It's gonna be Akron, a great Akron, Ohio, the home of LeBron James. It is, it is, it is. It'll be fun. I guess I'd have to probably, you probably have to fly into Columbus, right? Um, I typically fly into Cleveland. You can actually also fly into Akron. Akron has a, 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 a an active airport. So I don't know if I'm flying into Akron or if I'm flying into Cleveland, but um, either way, it's about an hour from Cleveland. Oh, that's right. No, I'm thinking Columbus is Ohio State. Cleveland is Akron. Oh, my, I'm a geography teacher and I'm terrible at geography. <laughs> I am just continuously learning Ohio. It's not a state that I'm familiar with, but I am very excited. We're having the event at um, Akron STEM Middle School, which used to be the Innovation Museum in, the, in their community. And it is, holy moly, it is a venue. Like it is just a, I love that it's in a school, but it's a really creatively built school. I, mm. I just cannot wait to bring our community into these, different learning opportunities that you wouldn't get in like a ballroom conference. I mean, this is going to be like a wacky event. I can't wait. Wow. You got me excited about it. Yeah. Well, good. I, I that seems good about it. Like, no, I'm thinking about March 1st. I'm thinking about the <laughs> yeah. proposal deadline because I'm like, that will, you know, I, I just, I think there's something about being in this great space when you're, when you're, when you're doing PD, you know, I do PDs for daycare um, on relationship building. You know, and you you would think that, you know, well, you teach middle school, how are you teaching them how to build relationships with infants? And I say, because relationships are relationships. Mm -hmm. That is the one thing that if you, the earlier you learn how to foster good relationships, the better your whole life will be. Mm -hmm. Because it's that one thread that weaves through every single thing that you do. And so that's my approach when I'm dealing with them and when I'm teaching in their spaces. 
you know, designed for little kids with all the color and all the pops, you know, it's like you get an opportunity to do something different and to be more animated and like, it like frees you. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you submit a session. Proposals are open March 1st, all the way through the end of April. So for those of you listening, like there's two months, submit a session. There's all different kinds of sessions. You can prepare in advance or slowly work through the, the submission because you got some time and I'm so excited to see presenters. We'll also have a podcaster row. Um, it's happening in a really cool space. I think it's my favorite room in that entire innovation museum that we're hosting this conference in. But we'll have a podcaster row with podcasters everywhere doing interviews. So if you're attending as a guest or attending as a presenter, you can also have the opportunity to be featured on different podcasts. As podcasters yourself, gentlemen, we'd love to have you. So I think it's just going to be a great creative space. Educators need a space to not only learn, but foster creativity. And I think this, this building really aligns with our goal of wanting educators to feel connected and supported and extra inspired. It'll be a good time. All right, Will, any other follow-up questions? Anything you'd like to pick Ray's brain on before we get her off on her They're Saturday like, no, adventure? talking so long. Get her off. Just no, I, I honestly. Mean, I, I would literally sit here and talk all day long. Yeah. I, again, education is, I tell my kids, I've invested, you know, over 15 years of my life to this craft. Mm. You know, that is, the, the all of my adult life, I've been focused on educating all of my adult life. Even when I was in college, I worked as a QMRP for a um, vocational training for people with dual diagnosis. And so that was even an educational space, just not in a formal classroom. You know, you're taking people with mental disabilities, emotional disabilities, and teaching them how to work in a space. You're following them. You're teaching them how to be helpful, you know, how to do, do home life, how to wash dishes and cook dinner, like how to go shopping, like all these things. So I've been in the education space my whole life, so I can talk about this every day, all day, without feeling like I'm wearing myself down because I feel like the more you talk about something, the more you learn about it. Because yeah. you open yourself up to people like yourself and what you're doing over Teach Better and how that can inform what I do on my campus. And I think that if our listeners will take anything from this, I didn't think it went off the rails. I think it went exactly where we're supposed to go because I asked my students the other day, I say, if I put in GPS right now in my phone and I ask my phone to take me to the Galleria, what is the very first thing they're going to ask me? And the kids were like, kind of curious. They're like, first thing they're going to ask you is what's your starting point? Mm. And I feel like our conversation today was our GPS starting point, that this is where we are. We know where we're trying to go, but this is, this is, this is the reality of where we are. So whatever twists, turns, bridges, obstacles, you know, alternative routes we have to take, we know we're going to get to our destination, but we have to start here. Yeah. And so I thank you for the work that you're doing and for being a voice for teachers and for helping, you know, this craft get better and better each year. I appreciate it. Always fun chatting with you guys. So I could talk for hours on this as well. And I'm, I appreciate the, the dialogue. This is why we've been connected for so long. I love what you guys are doing. I love your community that you foster and it's so fun to be able to, to talk shop. Hey, thanks for listening. You listened all the way to the end and we really appreciate that. Um, and we'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe and share the podcast and go follow us on whatever social media you are on. But thank you again to Ray. Thank you to the work she does for the Teach Better team and 
all of that other particular stuff that's been going on. So we are really, really grateful, really appreciative of the work that she does and of, you know, the support she's given us. So thank you, Ray. Thanks for listening to this episode. And please let us know what we can do to help.